Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, it is the kickoff episode for season three of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. Super pumped for this season. We got a lot of great content coming to you. Locke and I have been putting together a long list of, of topics that aren't burned out in the industry, aren't low hanging fruit. We're not going to go over the same old same. And we've got some cool stuff coming to you. Um, this episode, we're excited. We've got Jay James on, and we're going to be talking about uh, what to expect this hunting season kind of what the outdoor industry is like this year because you know not to sound too cliche but we've got COVID still uh, a reality and this is going to have a big impact on the woods um, what's available to buy as far as in the outdoor industry and essentially how we're going to hunt this year and moving forward I think it's going to be a memorable year maybe not always for the best reasons so Locke are you excited about this season? Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited about season three of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. It seems like it wasn't that long ago, and I guess it wasn't in, in the grand scheme of things. But you know, this is episode 48, and we started this thing, and now you know it seems like a uh, weekly ritual for us this time of the year. But I, I'm excited that we've uh, managed to keep this going, and the just the solid organic feedback that we get on social media from uh, the people that follow Louisiana bow hunter podcast that we consider part of Louisiana bow hunter pod or bow, Louisiana bow hunter. The brand is, is for everyone and the people that, that love the podcast and have requested it. And um, that's awesome. So I'm really excited that we're, we're here and, and we're kicking off season three. Absolutely, man. 
Um, and a little side note, um, I, I want everybody to know that we, we've grown. I've grown specifically. Uh, I'm well aware of the fact that I used to talk a lot in uh, season one. Last year, we brought Locke on to kind of cut that down, and we started putting more emphasis on the guest, and we're going to keep going in that direction this year, so it's definitely going to be a lot more guest-centric than um, past episodes. So if you're just now finding us uh, and you're kind of struggling to get through season one and me talking incessantly, I'm very sorry. Uh, I've <laughs> cut that down over the last uh, four or five hundred days, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get better at that moving forward. Um, Neither one of us have a broadcast uh, background. We just uh, we just love to bow hunt, and uh, so we're learning as we go. But sure, you know, as I said in the lead in, you know the 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 response we have, people seem to like it. So uh, we're gonna keep trying to bring, you know, f- not only fresh content and and good interesting guests, but you know, just kind of um, bob and weave as we move along and try to make this thing uh, continue to be entertaining and informative sure. and uh, learn as we go, just as hopefully people are learning from some of our conversations and some of our guests. Absolutely. Well, um, so this episode is going to be going to be kind of neat. And, and I, I almost 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 didn't want to start with this. But I feel like we have to because, number one, it's not the season yet. It's still preseason, so we can get away with it. Um, and number two, it's still very much our life and our reality, even though we've somewhat normalized. But we're going to be talking about you know, what to expect this year with COVID and what has happened with our archery shops. What's happening in the outdoor industry? What is public land going to look like? What are license sales going to look like? Um, what is it going to be like as an outdoorsman this hunting season? Because even though we've been enduring this bullshit of COVID for however many months it's been, we are just now entering the phase of hunting season with it because it kicked in right after hunting season ended last year. And so, um, I don't want, when I say things have normalized, what I mean is, we're past the initial shock and we're somewhat past the initial like shutdown of like, don't touch anything, yeah. don't go anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of start us off here. One thing that I've picked up on in, in my business and also in talking to other business owners and also talking to archery shops and, and people that carry Louisiana Bowhunter merchandise, being a consumer is, of, uh, is is very much an important part of normal life. People like to spend money. People like to acquire things, especially things that'll make them better shots or look better or feel better, things like that. Buying things and purchasing things have has become extremely uh, disrupted during COVID, and then it ramped way up in April and then May, and it's been at a super high point. We'll cover this with Jay, I'm sure, of um of consumership if you will purchasing retail outlets that when i say retail it isn't always like in-person retail just online retail is is um, spiking majorly as well 
and um, kind of what that's going to lead into. How does that translate into activity in the woods? Does it mean, you know, more people will be hunting during the week and all that stuff? So um, what we're going to do is Locke and I are going to talk a little bit about kind of some theories because that's really what they are right now, but they're well supported by people in the industry and preseason trends. And then we're going to call Jay in about 15 or 20 minutes and see what's going on in his shop. What is... What is it like in the life of the bow, of a bow shop right now? Is he being is he successful? Um, is he sold out of everything? Is he staying alive? Is he having the flesh eaten off of his bones by customers every day? What is it? So we're excited to have Jay on. I've wanted to have him on for quite a while, um, and I'm sure that'll be interesting in and of itself because Jay is such a strong personality, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I, let's start. Up. I'm going to ask you, Locke. Um, what do you think it's going to be like in, in hunting clubs or deer camps or, or just in the, on the private land world this year? What do you think it's going to be like to be a bow hunter? Well, you know what I think about when this topic comes up and, um, and then just considering these things is we, we have a little bit of a reference point in that we went through a spring Turkey season, uh, during the pandemic now yeah, yeah. grant granted that was a different stage of the pandemic and you as you referred to um we're in a different place as society goes in terms of during turkey season things were much different you couldn't travel you couldn't buy license out of state license in a lot of places and as it pertains to retail, you couldn't even go to stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that aspect, which is not all that comparable, I don't think, because now you can go to retail stores. I actually think that the, the, these things are actually the polar opposite. During the springtime, people that wanted to shop and buy things for their time outdoors, they couldn't because um, the world was so locked down and disrupted. Now it's the exact opposite. People have a lot of time on their hands, and they don't have other activities that typically um, sit in between the time they spend outside. For example, football season, you know, you have either no attendance or limited attendance from peewee all the way through professional football. So there's a lot of that time that's spent on the weekends with people tailgating and going to football games, um, a lot more time. Um, So – um, that is along with vacation time and stuff like that, you got a, a different dynamic than you had in the spring. In the spring, you had a lot of time on your hands and what you saw throughout spring turkey season across the South was an unbelievable increase in the amount of hunters in the woods. Now from just strictly, I suppose, um, more direct answer to your question, I think that from that perspective, it may not be much different because we still have a a lot of lingering effects of those things. People who are working from home, people who are unemployed, people who can't do other activities that they would normally do in the fall because they can't travel, they can't go on vacation, they can't go to football or, or whatever that may be. So they fill that time with more time in the woods from a retail perspective. And, you know, we were going to talk more about this, uh, amongst each other and with Jay, um, people are buying things up in mass mm-hmm. because they have more cash to spend. The, uh, the recreational retail industry, whether it be RVs or boats or 
ATVs or uh, typical, you know, more consumer good type retail, uh, hunting gear, fishing gear, camping gear. All of those industries have seen a tremendous spike. And my conversations with the people that I work with in the outdoor industry, these different brands and stuff is, you know, the trend is, well, you can't go on vacation. So you've got extra money that you didn't spend on vacation this year. You normally would have. So you're spending that on that new bow or that new set of camo or, or, or down payment on that boat you've always wanted or that ATV or, you know, anything from very large purchases all the way down to your normal trip to the store type purchases. So what I expect to see, what I think what we're, what we're going to find that we're already really seeing if we dig down into it, we're going to see an increase across the board. Um, I think the, the hunter participation is going to mimic what we saw throughout this where there's a lot more people in the woods hunting and then the uh we're actually going to see probably a banner year in outdoor retail because i think there are more recreational dollars going to be spent and i think also the the last point to make on that i think we're going to see a major increase in public land hunting because there are people that have time to hunt but they may not have the cash to join their hunting leases that that's one point that i haven't heard people make um i think public land is going to be a big factor because people didn't have the last six months to put aside that money to join their hunting lease if you look across facebook and places like that this is the easiest year in my memory to find a hunting club to join because there's openings everywhere and to me that translates to our public land is going to be very very busy and very populated i agree uh i so before we got on the phone i i I, you know knowing we're going to get on the phone with jay and the people that i know in in, at other bow shops and outdoor companies just trying to get a good sample size uh and and everything of information and, and everything kind of seems to echo the same thing which is everything's up um, bow sales are up 200, 300, 400 percent at some stores, but also at some manufacturers. Some manufacturers are are been you know running two and three shifts trying to keep up with demand um, of their product. And um, what I think that's going to happen, what what I think that's going to translate into, is um, a lot of people just I don't say bombarding, but I don't think there will be much weekday reprieve on public land or hunting clubs for that matter. I think that there's going to be more animal pressure and more human pressure on hunting properties in general than every, than any year before, which is going to lead to an, like if you just, let's say you, you hunted, you hunted public land Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the same exact way with the same veracity that you would Saturday and Sunday. I mean, get ready for a lot of nocturnal deer, a lot of nighttime um, activity, very little daytime activity. And if, and if you don't approach your property strategically and you don't hunt the right conditions, the right winds, um, and you don't go at it with a good game plan, you could end up hurting yourself in in a way where you're making more attempts and having less success, if that makes sense. I think that's one thing yeah. that you should be kind of cautioned about is that if you're planning on hunting more, then it's don't shoot yourself in the foot 
in hunting more also you know pick your days um if you if you wouldn't hunt a south wind on a certain stand don't do it this year either you know um you know don't lose your wits on 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 how to be successful with a bow or a rifle or, or whatever you're you're hunting um now i talked to sammy at shags archery uh before we got on the podcast just because i wanted a different sample size some more information and um, he was the one that kind of reminded me he said kyler think about the amount of people that are number one unemployed this year and number two now working from home he said you can work from home from your deer stand if you have a phone and cell service you are quote unquote working from home and I was like, that's a great point. And I, I don't know, I don't even know how I forgot that because I've been, I've been working remotely since 2015. <laughs> my, my, you and I talked about this earlier today. Everybody thinks it's awesome when they hear about it until they do it for a couple of weeks and they realize that their home becomes their workplace and that there's no more off button. And then they're like, this kind of sucks after all. And I'm like, yeah. Everybody's been saying it's so great for five years and I haven't seen it because I never get to turn turn off my laptop or my cell phone. I never get to unplug from the office by leaving at five o'clock every day. And I think you're going to have a lot of people that are working remotely start to hunt more frequently, whether it be duck hunting or fishing or bow hunting, whatever it is, they're going to partake in the season because they now are able to get away and do it. And, um, I think that's going that's going to have an effect on our success rates. It's going to have an effect on um, the amount of attempts that we have versus successes uh, or versus success. And I think that people, if you just trudge in the woods and throw up a stand and you start say, "I'm going to hunt a hundred days this season," I think you are going to be surprised by the number of sightings and number of kill opportunities that you would have had compared to a year that you only hunted, I don't know, 30 or 45 days. Um, There's no way to increase pressure and also increase success. I I think those things are inversely related and the harder you push, the harder you shut it down is my belief. So um, that's kind of what I'm thinking on public land and, um, and, and I also think I, I don't have statistics on this yet because they come out in the springtime, but I'm really curious to see what license sales are going to look like this year. Um, and well, let me ask you this, like, were, do you remember seeing or have you seen any harvest information from turkeys from this season? And was it vastly different from previous seasons? Yes. Uh, I, I, well, I not for I don't know that I saw numbers for the state of Louisiana. But doing the Strutcast podcast in the spring and researching, the numbers were insane in in many places. Uh, I think Missouri, Kentucky, Mississippi um, are ones that come to mind. And I might have seen Louisiana, but I can't remember for sure. But yes, the uh, there's actually been amongst the 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 uh, let's call it the turkey hunting community or industry or whatever you want to call it there's a lot of concern about what it's going to be like over the next two or three years because the 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 harvest rates were just really ridiculous mm-hmm. um i mean they were they were crazy and and granted um turkey hunting as a sport is a lot different um than than deer hunting in in that the dynamic that you just presented 
is a little different. To be honest with you, the more days you spend in the wood, the more likely you are to eventually get on a willing gobbler. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, pre- pressure is, is there with every single wild animal. That I mean, pressure does play a factor. But in my mind, you, you, you're you not going in and, and pushing yourself into a set where you're um, unknowingly messing up on your target animal over and over just because you have time and you have nothing else to do so you're in the woods. Um, yes, you can educate a gobbler. Yes, you can make him more wary but the more time you spend with him the more likely you are to catch him in the right mood and get him in gun range and so you know the difference between successful and unsuccessful turkey hunters often is the guy that can only hunt one or two days a week and every time he seems to get a day to hunt it's not a good day and the turkeys aren't cooperative you know so um but you know to answer your question yes the number the harvest numbers across the country were alarming I mean, nothing short of alarming in some places. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of one of those weird things where you look at it and you go, well, those are all reported kills, and that's legal, but I don't think the State Department's ever really intended that number to get that high. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's going to – I mean, that that begs the question, what's going to happen next year? What about next year's population? Yeah, because those are a lot of those are two-year-old gobblers, and yeah. those, you know – that's uh it'd be it's the you know to parallel that with deer hunting if you end up with an excessively high rate of immature bucks your age your age class is going to be thrown off for years to come absolutely yeah that's that's a another another good point is you know even though you have more time on your hands think of that as a you know, there's not much desperation there you know i so here's a, a different dynamic for you to think about. Um, I, I actually believe, and I'm going to contradict myself here from what I said earlier about hunting harder and less success and all that stuff. Um, I believe that one of the problems with people shooting underage deer or yearlings or spikes or whatever is quote unquote legal, but like, Hey man, you're a 47 year old adult. Like you can let a year and a a year and a half year old four point buck walk. You know, I think the reason, one of the reasons that, that is the driver for that decision to shoot something or the first thing you see is because of, well, this is my only weekend off from the plant, or Mm -hmm. I'm back from West Texas for three days only for Thanksgiving. I need to kill something. And so there is a deadline. There is a, um, you know, if it doesn't happen in this window, it won't happen at all. And so I... I kind I don't actually agree with that, you know, because I kind of live by the mindset where I'm, I'm always trying to beat or at least retain the level of, um, quality deer that I've killed in the past. I'm not trying to revert back, you know? And so I understand it from a, well, this is my only opportunity. I'm going to kill what I can. And then I also don't understand it from, well, you've, why, why are you mid thirties with 50 deer kills under your belt shooting a spike? You know, that can't do it for you anymore. I, maybe I'm wrong, but sure as hell won't, wouldn't do it for me anymore. And yeah. um, if we have more time, and unfortunately, some people are going to have more time because they're unemployed, which is terrible. I feel very sorry for people that are in that circumstance. That's not everybody, though. A lot of people have more time, and they're gainfully employed and working remotely for the first time in their careers. And... Um, 
I would, they have more freedom. They have, they more, have more flexibility. They have more freedom, more flexibility. And I would like to see people be more selective because of that, because there isn't that countdown clock. Yeah. There isn't that, oh, this is the only weekend I have off all month. It's, okay, I, I've got these deer on camera. I'm going to hold out for that one. You know, like Harmon Carson said a couple, a couple of podcasts ago that we did with him, you know, what's more fun than hunting one deer? Like find a formidable foe and go for him, you know, and anything else that gets in your way, just let him pass. And, um, so, you know, there's some, there's some positive to it also. I'm not trying to say that like, we're going to be out there like Rambo and a machine gun shooting everything that walks by. Um, but, um, I would like to see us as bow hunters in particular, I would like to see us set goals for ourselves because the time clock isn't as short for us this year, potentially as it is other years, you know? So, um, Anyway, uh, you, anything else you want to throw in there before we call Jay? No, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna jump on the line with Jay here and 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 get his opinions and his thoughts about this, and then um, you know, there's some things for us to close out with and uh, some points to be made about all that. And uh, but I'd like to hear what Jay has to say from his perspective um, on what's going on. Absolutely. And then uh, come back with those things. Well, before we call Jay, why don't you tell him who the sponsor is for this year's podcast? Yeah, so we're excited that Relentless Boats has returned. And this year, they're our presenting sponsor for Season 3. And um, if you've listened to the podcast, uh, Relentless was a regular sponsor of our podcast last year. And um, they're a Louisiana-based custom boat builder. Now, um, one thing is, uh, as we wind down to October the 1st, uh, Relentless won't be taking any more custom orders as of October the 1st. Uh, business is great. Um, things are going very good and and uh, greatly appreciate uh, the uh, the following in the community here at Louisiana Bowhunter. And um, they've been ex- excited about what they've seen from the growth of their business. Still a very young company, but uh, uh, encourage you to check out on their website that they do have dealerships across the South where you can still get a relentless boat, um, throughout the year and exciting things to come in 2021. So, uh, again, just a big shout out and thanks to them for uh, being the presenting sponsor of, uh, of our podcast. Absolutely. And, and that's, kind of, that's kind of a byproduct of this whole, uh, circumstance, you know, COVID COVID reality. Mm-hmm. Also people are buying boats like crazy. Um, I, yep. I know uh, surface drive manufacturers that are backed up 18, 20 weeks. I know outboards, people can't get a hold of outboards. People can't get a hold of bay yep. boats. People can't get a hold of a, a, an all weld at, at Academy, you know. Um, yep. So, um, you know, just to clarify, even though they aren't accepting any more orders directly from them, their dealers have a ton of boats and you can pick one up with no lead time directly from their dealer network, which you can find on the website. So you can still get yep. it relentless for sure, um, but uh, you would, you know, you would be a couple months back getting one custom built. So, um, which, you know, yep. that's that's why I hate to say it, man. I, I think I told you this. I sold my Pro Drive. This this year, kind of un, unexpectedly, I had a good friend of mine that asked me about the blind I built for it, and I asked him what kind of boat he had. It's all over text. I said, "What kind of boat did you get?" He said, "Well, I'm gonna build one one day, but I want to build a blind like yours." And like I was in the middle of something else, and I wrote back. I was like, "Just buy mine," you know. He said, "How much?" And I told him, and he said, "I'll be there Sunday." And I was like, "Oh mm. God, I 
I think I just sold my boat. So I'm running a tunnel hole with an outboard this year. First time I run an outboard in uh, eight or nine years, um, which is running an outboard after you've run a surface drive for 12 years. Terrifying. <laughs> because, yeah. because you know, like that invincibility shield is gone, you know? Right. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm hunting out of, uh, an outboard in a tunnel hole again this year. So, um, anyway, well, let me get on, let me call Jay real fast. Hey man. Jay, how's it going, buddy? Sitting here eating chips. <laughs> Perfect. Chips. Lock, lock. Do not edit this out. Do what? Do not edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're late. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, man. About to get ready to start building strings for the night. For the night. How uh, how many strings are you having to build this week? I don't know. You don't want to count? I lost count weeks ago. It's just a, as many as I can until I get tired and ready to go to sleep. I hear you. Do you have a cot in the back back there yet, or are you still driving home every night? I'm at the house. I have a string. I have a layout jig and everything at the oh, house. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, well, we uh, we wanted to call and talk to you about kind of the, your business, how things have been through COVID. What do you think the season's going to be like, and all that? Um, so, kind of give us. Can you give us kind of a timeline recap of? how uh like how the covid started covid period started for you back in the springtime and has things rebounded and when and all that when it all started uh and all the shutdown started those first couple weeks were dead like nothing uh and after that you know everybody just kind of got burnt out on it started to get out doing stuff and my business picked up as an industry as a whole the outdoor stuff is way up like of course gun sales are up right now that's a whole nother subject we could get into mm-hmm. but even like fishing though a friend of mine works for a fishing distributor company and if they had something in stock if you were a fishing dealer and they had a bait on the shelf and you called and ordered it a, a, a couple months ago it would took them two weeks to ship it out the door because they were two weeks behind on shipping. Jeez. And that's what they had in stock. That's what they had in stock. Jeez. So archery's up. As far as I know, everybody's up nationwide. Um, everything's been rolling on good, going good. Sales are up for pretty much everybody that's been open. Mm-hmm. The states that were forced to close, things like that, that's another ball game, but. The problem now we're running into is supply. We can't, there's a lot of stuff that we're having trouble getting our hands on. Such as, such as what? Arrows are getting hard to get. Um, what people are going to start realizing is how much of the stuff that, that's, that people buy in this business and probably in general in life is made overseas now. Yeah. And how much everything depends on it. Um, for, you know, pretty much every arrow manufacturer buy every arrow manufacturer from but Easton buys their raw carbon fiber from the same place. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to get into hard time getting arrows, standard diameter, you know, just like your normal standard diameter, 400, 350 spine arrows are really getting hard to get your hands on. 
I have a feeling later on we'll start having problems getting our hands on broad on certain broadheads. Yeah. Uh, cheaper crossbows. All your cheaper crossbows are made in China. So it's like going to be impossible to get a lot of these lesser expensive crossbows. Uh, I do a lot with Rocky Mountain, which was Carbon Express, Faradine, mm-hmm. and they're pretty much out. Goodness. And there won't be any more until after the first of the year. Yeah. Yeah, that trend is that trend is across the board because you know with with some of the other brands that I work directly with the same the same issue. Uh, and I, to Jay's point, you know, without going political with this, uh, if you have not to this point in your life come to the realization of how much we get from China and overseas in general. Uh, 2020 should be a eye-opening, uh, a very eye-opening event for you to uh, start paying attention to what is said on the political landscape about how we deal with overseas trade and stuff like that. Because you should be feeling it at home in your your uh, your hobbies and your recreational activities. You should be feeling it now if you never have before. Absolutely, Jay. Let, let me ask you this. Um, do you think some of the shortage was, uh, or, or the the sellout right now? I I know it's because demand is up, but in other industries, I've actually heard that um, companies, you know, manuf- I don't want to call them manufacturers, but like let's say somebody like like Gold Tip. Of course, they're a manufacturer. They have a manufactured overseas, and they sell them here in the U.S. But Gold Tip, hypothetically, maybe um, drew back on what they ordered this year because of a perceived downturn in in um, in hunter participation. I doubt that. Um, they have. They're pretty good. Those companies, man. Gold Tip, for example, is owned by a big corporation called Vista. Mm-hmm. Which owns Savage and Federal Ammunition and Bushnell and all kind. I mean, they own like 50, 60 companies. Sure. They're not your mom and pop archery company that's building sites and own two CNC machines in their basement. They they know what's going on in the markets and stuff, and those guys predict that stuff pretty well. So to say that some of these companies back down, I mean, I guess it's possible. I'm not in with the, those big wigs like that, mm-hmm. depending on the company. But I very seriously doubt it. Gold tips are made in Mexico. Yep. And there's something going on down there. I don't know if it's coronavirus or what's going on down there. They're having a hard time shipping. I do a lot of victory arrows. Victories are made in Vietnam, but they're warehoused in Tijuana, Mexico. Mm-hmm. We're having problems getting arrows just in general, you know. Uh, and Victory is owned by, technically owned down the road, is owned by Mitsubishi. Hmm. I mean, that's the largest corporation in the world, I believe. Really? I think so. Um, I mean, think about yeah, what so, Mitsubishi so builds. From your... Yeah. From so from your from your perspective, it it has a lot more to do with distribution and supply than it does actually manufacturing. 
Well, you got to look at, okay, yeah, I think that's a lot of it, getting the getting the raw materials, uh, distribution. Manufacturing side of it comes into play is we're not the only country that shut down and people, you know, that was shut down and people didn't go to work. Um, okay, G5, for example, they're in, they're in Michigan. We all know how long that, that governor up there kept Michigan shut down and they couldn't do anything, right? True, yeah. So G5 is still behind on everything. Bows, prime bows, broadheads, everything. Yep, and it's because point. they were, I don't know, two months or so, something like that, that they didn't even work or anything. Yeah. And it, and it's this um, it's this kind of perfect storm of a point in time in which manufacturing is is forcibly closed or or um, heavily restricted matched with a possibly the highest demand in an industry that they've ever seen. Correct. Uh, And so it's this really odd rogue wave hitting the industry um, of being, being kicked while you're down um, in a sense. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's like, it's just drowning. Um, I I see it in the apparel industry, you know, um, in, in, in my company and what we do, um, let's say you're a t-shirt printer and I don't do t-shirts, but let's say you're a t-shirt printer. The main consumers of t-shirts first and foremost are sporting events. Um, sorry, sporting teams. So like, like soccer teams and, um, things like that, corporate events, um, breweries, and then, um, uh, schools, schools make up a large percentage of like just regular cotton t-shirts or blended t-shirts made that, that was kicked, kicked, way down and stayed down for a long time because all of that customer base has been closed or uh, heavily suppressed. But headwear, which is my main product, kind of was feeding off the same information as t-shirts, thinking that it was Mm going to be down for a long time, and it skyrocketed. And now my vendors quite literally have apology letters on their website saying, we misread this thing entirely. We should have ramped up 40% when we pulled back 30 and, um, and so now they have, you know, 70% deficit in inventory of what they thought they should have had for this fall based on like, he's, you know, there's, 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 there's the whole idea of being so smart that you're stupid. And I look, I've, I worked for corporations for a long time. I've seen some of the smartest people with degrees make some of the worst decisions I've ever seen because they, they're so convinced that they're right, that they're wrong, you know? Um, and so I don't always, I I don't want to totally agree with you and say, yeah, you're right. The bigger the company, the better information they have. Sometimes they still take hard left turns when they should have, they zigged when they should have zagged, you know? Um, so that's why I was asking you if you'd heard any of that. Yeah. The archery world. Well, let's talk about archery and fishing and stuff. We can't even talk about guns to say, because that's going to go crazy period right now. Sure. But the, everybody in the everybody in the industry we've talked to about it is okay. The uh, Bubba hasn't fished in a long time, or Bubba hasn't bow hunted in a long time, or hasn't hunted much in a long time. Well, he's sitting at home because he can't. Him, he can and his wife can't take the kids to go to the movies or go spend money doing this or whatever hobby that he had because everything is shut down. Well, he gets out his fishing rods and starts back fishing, or he gets out his bow that he ain't shot in 10 years and starts shooting in the yard. 
Mm-hmm. That's why pretty much all your string manufacturers and stuff, we've been building strings like crazy. And we're building strings for a bunch of older bows and stuff because they haven't been shot in years. Guys are pulling them out of the closet that hadn't touched a bow or even opened up the case and looked at it in 10 years sometimes. going to be an uprising of like uh, Matthew Switchbacks this year, huh? <laughs> Uh, some of us a lot older than that, bro. Massive <laughs> ultralight. P- PSE 4x4 Beast. Got it. Thunderbolt. I haven't seen a Beast, but I had one from that same era, <laughs> almost the same. That was my first um, bow, was a PSE 4x4 Beast. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's that's what's happening right now in the, in the fishing and the, the archery world. Yeah. Uh, guys that hadn't done it. And another thing. Not to go off political, a lot of people's not going to be watching football this fall, right? No. So, yeah. well, they that, can't. And some, I mean, a lot of those guys a little spend bit. their weekends tailgating. They can't. Yeah, guys, guys that hunt a little bit and they go tailgate every time there's a home LSU home game, or they make sure they're at home to watch the Saints game on Sunday and they're not going to watch it this year, or they can't go tailgate because it ain't happening this year. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to hunt more this year. Yeah. Um. And that's, you know, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Everything, everything has fallen into place this year with the way things have happened just to be a, what they call the perfect storm in archery to have a disaster as far as supply and demand. Sure. Um, so I guess my next, my, my next question was, you just answered it I'm in, in, in sort of, but, you know, based off what you're seeing and what you're experiencing at your shop, what is what do you predict the hunter participation and i guess you you, you answered that uh, before i asked the question so uh, not necessarily hunter participation but what what do you expect people are going to see in terms of uh, in the woods um like you know what what's the experience going to be like uh, on your public grounds and on your hunting camps you know uh what do you have to say about it? what do you expect Man, I don't know on the public ground. It probably will be more there. I think in camps, you know, y'all, everybody's got the, the couple guys in the camp that come and hunt two or three times a year. And like I said, they're big into going to tailgate at LSU or Northwestern or Tech or whatever. And well, since they can't do that, they're going to be at the camp more often because they ain't going to have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Um public land I, I don't know it could be uh it could be a lot it could be a lot more people on public land too uh that's i, I don't do much public land hunting um but i can see there be a being an increase there too we'll have to the only way we'll really be able to tell is at the end of the year and look at license sales yep that'll be the only way to definitely say yeah it was an uptick now like I said, the guys that are at the camp that go hunting two or three times a year that are now going to be hunting every weekend that it's open because they can't go watch a football game. They're still buying a license, but they're, they're going to be participating a lot more, which means they will be spending more money in the business, more money in the industry. Yeah. That's a good point. You, you know, something that I, that I just thought of, I, maybe maybe a fair warning or somebody something to think about for anybody that is hunting public land or hell even has a camp on private land it doesn't matter um 
I wouldn't be surprised if vehicle um, theft was up or, or if break-ins on WMAs and NWRs are up. Um, you know, that's something that I've heard got really bad in Mississippi last year. I heard a couple of more instances in Louisiana that in places that don't usually have like Sherburne, I heard there's some break-ins in Sherburne last year that usually that's a pretty safe place to leave your truck locked, unlocked. You could leave any laptop in it and it would still be there when you get back. So I would be cautious if, if there, while there are some people that have more time on their hands to hunt, there's also going to be people that have more time on their hands to do kind of you know malicious activities if you will um and so don't keep anything valuable in your car it might be worth keeping the door unlocked maybe it might be worth keeping the window halfway cracked where you can see inside and see there's nothing worth breaking into in there you know um but well uh, i can tell you i I know from a from personal not this didn't happen to me personally but firsthand information that was an issue in mississippi on some of your more rural national forest and public hunting during turkey season um there were a lot of opportunistic people and these weren't people that were out hunting and saw a truck and these are people that are riding around they know hey i'm seeing a lot more people go in and out of here let me go see they're looking for opportunities to break Mm -hmm. into vehicles because they know they're in areas they can get away with it absolutely yeah so i mean i hate to be debbie downer and bring that up but don't keep anything important in your car don't keep anything important in your truck. I've actually, um, because of that, because of that reason, in some of the places that I hunt, I've actually considered getting like a hunting truck, something that's like you know, early two thousands, four wheel drive, you know, single cab or something um, that has crystal clear glass windows, so you can clearly see there's nothing in there, um, and just leave it at the camp and just bounce around to the WMAs and NWRs that are hunting in it. And, uh, you know, the second reason I need is because I don't have a four wheel drive truck. I, I haven't had one in like eight years and I need that sometimes. <laughs> so, but that's two good reasons to get one. But, um, anyway, don't, don't leave anything valuable in your cars. Uh, it's not worth it, you know, creating the temptation for somebody else because i think this would be the year that they would probably take advantage of it unfortunately well jay um i guess you know we we kind of asked you most of what we were we were prying about but i just uh i know you've been busy kyle and i both talked to you you know pretty regularly on and off the uh the phone with different things so um i guess the last thing i'm wondering is what are some of uh, whether they're in stock or not what are some of the new things that are going on this year new stuff that 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 you are i guess both seeing uh uptick in sales but also just things that people should be looking for i guess some of the more exciting new stuff that's out um there's a few new things that's uh pretty interesting okay one uh Viper sites. I don't know if y'all have ever seen Viper bow sites. They make, you know, mm-hmm. by the way, all American made company, which is becoming a big thing in the business now. Mm-hmm. They have a new site light called the charge. So how many of us has got a site light and the batteries go dead and you replace the batteries and it still never works right. Yeah. Everybody, because those little pieces of junk just don't last. So Viper's got this new light that is rechargeable. It comes with a uh, mini USB port 
or a cable, you plug it in and it's rechargeable. Screw it. It comes with all the adapters that fit in any site. And they're twenty nine ninety nine, where most of your lights are twenty to twenty five bucks. Yeah, that's a great price. Um, I sold out of them twice already. It's 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 an awesome little site. Uh, light. Um, crossbow world. Uh, Faradine come out with a new crossbow called the Axe four hundred five. American made. It's a reverse draw. It's got the baddest crank system of any crossbow in the business. It's silent. You can let go of it at any time. It won't slip. You cock the crossbow. You don't shoot anything. You just reach and grab the crank and back it off backwards, and it lets it down. And it's real. It's super compact, pretty quiet, real accurate. Um, what, what about what about bows? What's what's what are the cool bows you got this year? Man, the coolest bows this year. One Botex new cam system is just super easy to set up and tune, and the bows are super forgiving and accurate. Um, that cam system where you can just basically the cam, the axles on a worm gear to say is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. You stick an allergen in the end of the axle and you turn it, and it moves the cam left or right. So there's no shimming or twisting yokes or doing anything crazy. Um, Literally, let's say you're a guy that shoots fixed blade broadheads. You get the boat home, and your fixed blade is shooting a little left, a little right. You just break out your allen wrenches, just bump the axles a little bit, whichever way it needs to go, and you can get your broadheads and field tips flying in the same spot. They're all flipped to right. Just that easy. Just a matter of minutes. Um, the PSE carbon bows this year are real nice. Um, they have a more laid-back limb angle, so they're much more, much less recoil and everything. They're still fast. They're still quiet. Still has a ninety percent butt off. Um, releases this year. B three is taking a big chunk of the market. Uh, if you don't know who B three is, B three is the original Scott family. The engineer mm-hmm. is Joe Scott, which was was uh, Mr. Bill Scott's grandson. Uh, his mom and his stepdad. Ran Scott for years, and they sold it to. They sold it several years back. So they're back in. They got back in the industry, and they started B three releases. They also have some really cool broadheads out, um, exoskeleton mechanicals, and they got a new fixed blade called the Destruct, which is real nice. Um, Sights. I'm just going to say this on sights. Sights are really hard to get right now, as far as high end sights, quality sights. I'm going to tell in the site world, I'm going to tell you what sites are made in the United States. Everything else is not as far as I know. If you can correct me on it, go ahead. But as far as I know, Viper, Spot Hog, HHA, Black Gold, Excel, and Option are the only sites that's made in the United States right now. And they're all extremely hard to get. Hmm. Um, I think Spot Hog is like nine weeks behind right now. Wow. Um, what I don't about, know what, what else what, what was, else what was really... the, Yeah, what was the broad? You told me there's a new broadhead that was dealer only that uh, that was cool. Was it Wasp? Was that Wasp? It? By the way, Wasp is the only we'll call it, say major broadhead manufacturer that's 100 percent 
made in America from this. When I say 100%, they buy U.S. steel. Aluminum comes from foundries in the U.S. All the machine work and everything's done in Connecticut. Yep. Uh, but Walsh has a new dealer-only broadhead called the Mortem. And uh, badass little head flies really well. Um, they come with like two extra sets of blades, and they're like $32 a three-pack, and then you get two extra sets of blades for them. That's the best part about Wasp is you get two sets of blades. They're affordable. They're way, way more affordable than the ones that are imported. Um, and what's crazy is they're 100% American-made, and they still sell them cheaper than everybody else. Yeah. Which, you know, from a business standpoint, it makes me want to kind of shake them a little bit and be like, dude, put that bigger on the label and charge $5 more. You know, like people would I'm buy okay it. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Pe- people would buy it, you know. Um, and, uh, but no, I've, I've, I've shot wasps for like four years now. I love them. And I, I'm at the point now, I, ha- I have so many wasp drone f- heads that all I do are buy replacement blades every year. I've got to have like 30 of them now. Um, it's hard to mess up a steel ferrule. It is, man. I love that. I love that head. I really do. Um, but um, <laughs> I do have to make fun of you for a second because you've done this to me for two years in a row. I told I was make I told Locke. I, t- I told Locke this earlier this week. I was like, Jake called me last week, and he called me just to tell me that he had something that he couldn't tell me about, but it's the coolest thing ever, and that I would love it. <laughs> And yeah, I was yeah. like, I was like, what, who does this? Who, who calls me to tell me that they know something that they can't tell me? I was like, this is a shitty game, Jay. I don't like this game, you know? And, and like, and then no, you got, I called to make fun of your ear flap hat, man. And oh, we just got yeah. to another conversation. The ear flap hat is badass though. No doubt. I know. Remember I, I wanted some for my kids and you mm-hmm. told me they didn't make them. Yep. But but I I, I had to la- I just had to laugh at you because like you were like man there's this really crazy thing coming out it's the like the most high tech material ever everybody wants it but only one company has it I wish I could tell you more and I was like this is what kind of phone call is this this is not it's awesome <laughs> hey speaking of something that's new that's high tech uh, Locke, have you told you told anybody about the Wi-Fi cameras. Uh, I, I mean, I've talked to a few people. I actually had lunch with them today, and uh, yeah. yeah, the Wise Eyes cameras are going to be. Uh, you're probably going to see a lot more of that, um, in terms of just public advertisement and uh, you know, on the shelf type stuff in 2021. But uh, but yeah, that's for guys that are big into running cameras, and and specifically guys that are big into the cellular camera technology. Wise Eyes is about to blow it up. It's it's a game changer in the camera world, like completely. Well, tell them about it. What is it? So you have a cell phone camera, and this is going to be kind of a rundown. And no matter how you talk about it, you sound like a cheesy salesman because it has so many. It does so many things. So, so you have a cell phone camera, and it's one of the strongest cell phone cameras on the market. By the way, they're, they're, the company's out of Baton Rouge. Yep, Louisiana um, company. So, support the local guys, right? So, it's one of the strongest cell phone cameras there is. So, it has what they call antler recognition, which is kind of like a low-grade facial recognition. So, it's a cell phone camera. You get it. You only want to listen. You, it files everything once it takes a picture. So, once it takes pictures, you can go in there and it'll have antler bucks. 
you can look at pictures of antler bucks. If you look at you can look at pictures of does or other, which I guess will be coons and hogs or trees flopping in the wind, whatever. So you only get pictures of bucks. Well, then you have a picture of a buck you like. Man, I want to, that's going to be the deer I want to hunt this year. So you can take that deer and you can name it in the system. So once you name it, well, you name the deer Willie. So it starts a Willie file. Hmm. So you have a file that's just Willie. So that's all great. But the starting to get to the really cool stuff is, is it has GPS and it, it links to GPS system. So it links to the weather station. So when it takes a picture, it knows time, date, moon phase, temperature, barometric pressure, and the wind direction. So you say, oh, man, it's got all that on the on the pictures. That's, that's cool. But the really cool part is once it collects enough data on Willie from all of this, you can go in the app, and it'll tell you the optimum day to hunt Willie or kill Willie is, say, October the 15th. At three thirty in the afternoon, with a southeast wind. Wow, that sounds and awesome. Yeah, it, 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 it is. It's, it's way better. Than Last year they had five deer that they hunted with, hunted hunted with the cameras on them. They killed four of the five deer within like uh, like twenty thirty minutes of when the camera told them to be there. Jeez, that's wild. It, yeah. it's, it's really uh, good for somebody that let's say you have a lead. You don't get to go, but a few times a year, you'll know. Hey, hey, boss, I'm t- I got to take off next Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be back. You know, I'll be. I'm take off two or three days next week. And so that, you know, a lot of guys plan a trip to the Midwest. Well, they they plan it out, and they might get there, and they're a week too early. They're a week too late. You know, this will mm-hmm. help stop those wasted trips where you go and the hunting's not that good. Um, or even if you have a, you have a lease not far from your house and it's hard to get in and out of without spooking a bunch of stuff. Well, you know, instead of going in there hunting a bunch and wasting time, you put the camera on them. Cause most time you kill big deer the first time you hunt a stand, mm-hmm. you go in there and you hunt them that optimum day, that first time and increase your odds of killing them. You, you know, you know, it's, what's funny about that is, so I've, um, I recently just got cell cams this year ever first time ever. And, um, and I've, I've been getting some decent activity and every time I, I see some decent activity, that's, that's what I've been doing the last two weeks is I will, I will check wind direction. If I see a deer come from the North, I'm going to see, okay, which, which wind direction is that? Could I come in from the South safely? Could I hunt that stand from the way that I would have to come in? And so the the fact that it tells you all that automatically it comes to you is it's, it's pretty wild, man. I, I didn't realize all that. That's cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. it makes life a lot easier to put it that way. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Um, well, everything's going well for you up in Pineville, huh? Oh yeah, that's good. Are you uh, are you ever going to move closer to there, or you just you, you like that commute every day? Uh, the commute don't bother me that much, but uh, man, you got to remember I'm from Pitkin. We had to drive thirty minutes to get to the grocery store growing up. <laughs> yeah. So everything's thirty forty minutes away from where I grew up, I uh, for the most part. Uh, Man, people are just spoiled over here. 
go out west and you have to drive an hour to get to a convenience store then then people can complain about driving sure no you're you're right there's i mean louisianians in general we we get set in our ways and we don't want to move very far i mean i remember when i was working in baton rouge i could not i could not hire somebody from baton rouge to work in port allen and i could not hire somebody Mm. I could not hire somebody from Baton Rouge to go work in Denham Springs or Denham Springs to go work in Hammond or vice versa. I mean, if, if they had to leave their zip code, it was, uh, hey, I appreciate the opportunity. Good luck finding somebody else. I'm not kidding you. So you're right. They are very spoiled, very spoiled. So um, Yeah, but you, over there you sit in your car for an hour and a half to go 10 miles. I get it. You, I get you, live it. In te- you live out in West Texas. You sit in your car an hour and a half and you go – 125 30 miles. <laughs> yeah exactly I, I i get the i get the whole not want to cross the bridge thing but oh, but yeah. i couldn't get people to go from living parish into saint tammany you know um i'm not kidding you i couldn't get them to go eastbound on i-12 i'm like this is the easiest route there is you get to go westbound in the evenings and eastbound in the mornings do you know how many thousands of people wish they could do that drive um but anyway uh yeah i, I remember it well well, um, look, man, I appreciate you being on with us and giving us some insight as far as like what it's like being directly tied to the outdoor industry and some of the, the positives and negatives of it. Um, I, you know, I will, I'll admit since I've, have been in sales my whole career and still own company now, it's, it's really odd when you have so much success that, that it stops because, you know material or inventory runs out it's a really odd it's kind of you twiddle your thumbs you're like well i sold 14 crossbows this week now what do i do you know yeah i'm out i'm twiddle my thumbs yeah but um anyway in the meantime you can put my box in the in the mail (laughs) while you're twiddling i would say so man i went to the (laughs) post office today with your box i got to the post office in the rain that's I funny. grabbed the box out of the back seat of the car and he, realized I grabbed the wrong box. Oh, so you didn't send his box? Please tell me you didn't. You, <laughs> please tell me you didn't send it's his box. In the, no, it's in the car, right? It's the right one is in the car right now, and it will be sent tomorrow. Oh my god! I got and it was raining, like it was raining, man. And I got it, and I got it out, and I looked at the box, and I went, "Crap, this is the wrong box." <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I wasn't letting Dude. you. I wasn't letting you get off this podcast without throwing that in there. Oh man! Then I got back to the shop, and uh, boy, my buddy was in there watching it while I was gone. And uh, I got back to the shop. There was nobody in the shop when I left. I got back to the shop. There was five people sitting there because I was planning on running back and taking it. And uh, but it's going to go out in the morning, and you should have it tomorrow, Thursday. You should have it Friday. Have you have you found anybody that can stand working with you yet, Jay? Or are you still still one manning it up? Uh, yeah, I got some buddies that come help. They can stand me. Oh, I don't think it's me. I think it's because... I expect more out of people than what people are willing to put out. Yeah. I, That's how I like to look at it anyway. I've told you this four or five times. I think I've told it to your face. There is nobody that kind of likes you. Okay. Nobody. Nobody is indifferent towards Jay. Everybody's like, Jay, I would drive from Maryland for him to work on my bow. Or it's like, Jay James, I wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. Like, nobody is, <laughs> nobody's like middle grounding, like, yeah, Jay's a pretty good guy. I've never heard that ever. 
ever. <laughs> Nobody's like, yeah, Jay's a pretty cool dude. Like, no, you're either like, Jay is the only person that touches my bow on this earth, or Jay can, Jay can burn in hell. Like, there's no... This is how I look at it. Yeah, cracks me up, man. I'm, I'm not... I'm not. I don't have an archery shop to uh, suck up to people or like tell them how great they are. Yep. I have an archery shop to fix your bow the right way and make you shoot as good as you possibly can. Yep. And if you want to be, you want somebody to kiss your ass. Find somebody. Else. It ain't. It ain't Jay James. Yeah. No. That's funny. <laughs> I, it, it, but like I, it cracks me up, man. And I, I love it because you're so genuine, you know, bullshit. And, and there's, there's some people that despise that not out of you, but just people that have that harsh truth, honesty. This is the way it is. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And then you got other people that seek it out. You know, they're like, man, tell me how it is. Tell me if this bow sucks. Tell me if I should shoot something else. What's my problem? You're not going to hurt my feelings. And look, man, you've been doing this a long time. You've got a great following. I don't think anybody has any doubt that, that you aren't fantastic at what you do. Um, and uh, I just had to poke fun at you a little bit, man, because I'm right. There is nobody. I have never heard anybody say oh jay he, like he's a pretty good guy <laughs> never <laughs> never well he's been with the public for i don't even know how long now yeah <sighs> you know it's just and i you know i joke around people people's like man why don't you have anybody to work with you well i don't like people that much <laughs> i mean i like people i get along with people but like i said in society today you have so many people that just want you to tell them how great they are Yep. And man, I'm sorry if you're, the, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good point. I love it, man. Well, look, thanks for being on, man. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Look, I'll talk with y'all yeah, later. Thanks, Jay. See you, buddy. See you. Hey, man. Well, that confirmed a lot of what we thought, man. A lot of what we were talking about before. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Good having him on. Yeah, it it was, and it's um, I you know I really think that everyday life is is busy, and and everyday life is different for everybody, no matter where they find themselves these days. And and we we tend to get caught up in that. But I I think the things that we're talking about, if you really just take a if you take a uh, a step back and look at things very logically, we're not we're not saying or theorizing anything that's that's really out there i mean it, it makes perfect sense when you put the pieces of the puzzle together this is a predictable outcome from the vantage point that we have right now now mm-hmm. to your point and 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 we talked about this with jay when you asked him about the arrows and you ask about uh you know uh forecasting by businesses and, and how they may proceed uh, if they uh, predict a possible downturn. And, um, you know, that that's not something that he felt was uh, all that uh, evident in, in what he's experienced. But I can tell you personally, with one of the brands that I work very closely with and have a lot of information, um, that is a very, very much a situation that this particular brand is dealing with in that they – safely i guess we would say safely predicted a possible downturn not knowing how this whole pandemic situation 
and was going to play out and it, and it happened the opposite. And yeah. now, um, they're fighting through that because supply and distribution is in a bad spot because of, um, an increased, an increased, um, business and more revenue or so I guess revenue is not the way to say it, but more orders, more sales. And, um, while they at the same time scaled back, uh, to be safe for any potential serious downturn. So I think that, that, that it's probably brand and business specific, but that, you know, that point that you made, I, I, I know that it is prevalent in some areas for sure. Yeah. Um, in, in, it's I've worked for Fortune 500 companies. I've worked for private equity companies. I've seen people that were so convinced that they were brilliant that they were some of the dumbest morons I've ever seen in my life. Um, and the data can show whatever you want it to show. You can skew data and you can twist it and you can justify whether you should buy more, buy less now. You can you can make an argument both ways. And um, I think when you when you throw in the fact that it takes between three and six months to make something overseas and receive it and get it in a sellable condition and in a supply chain or in a store shelf. If we're talking about shortages now that were caused by decisions made in March and April. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, I mean, that's the timeline that we're, we're referring to. And so it's, you know, not to get too businessy, but when you're dealing with, um, uh, you know, certain, depending on what kind of capital you have for your company, whether you're self-funded or you have a capital investment or you have investors or you have a bank loan or you have a line of credit or five other ways that you can get money to buy inventory to sell later. When you have people that have vested interests in how you spend their money in the late springtime, which everything was pointing that the world was ending and nobody was going to be able to shake hands or high five ever again. We're now on the end of that supply chain where, Oh shit, we probably should have bought 40% more, not 33% less, you know? Um, and it's, that's, it's a hard, I mean, from a, well, it's easy. It's easy from, it's easy right now at the end of September to see that, but, justifiably um things looked a lot different in march and April. absolutely and they did is where we are and and you know between those decisions and then the just general challenges of okay well maybe maybe i was smart enough to foresee this and i tried to up it 20 30 40 percent well my manufacturing fell apart because mm-hmm. of the lockdowns and and now everybody's behind them and, and i i can't i can't fulfill that um, that 40% increase because I don't have the same, um, line of manufacturing and supply that I had when everybody was up and running that, you know, maybe my, my supplier is, is two months behind. Yeah. So there's just so many complicated factors. I think what it all plays down to in terms of this conversation is, um, this is not the year to be a procrastinator. And even though we're a week out from the season starting, uh, it is a long season and, you know, if we haven't given you enough information now, um, by now, let, let's just say it plainly. Uh, if you've got needs um, on gear and, and stuff like that, you need to you need to figure that out pretty quickly because things aren't going to get better um, just because hunting season opens. Uh, yeah. This this is going to be a lingering issue into next year. So um, if if there's a takeaway, take that away, because if you're if you've waited now, you've probably uh 
pushed up against waiting too long and and you need to you need to kind of address that situation quickly yeah um you know another thing kind of going along with what we started talking about which was more time in the woods um more hunter efforts potentially higher harvest rates um and also on another hand potentially lower harvest rates because of more time in the woods um but I, you know, me personally, I would, I would like to see people be more selective. Um, yeah. you know, last year, like we talked on the, the, the podcast from last week, which is the end of season two, you know, I admitted that I lost a lot of animals last year. I was underprepared. I was naive and believing that my, I would retain my archery ability and don't learn that lesson the way that I did learn it for me get out, shoot your bow every day, wake up. Actually, I, I had a, um, a good friend of mine that I referred, I recommended this to him. Um, it was Jeff Kane. Uh, he lost a big deer in a, a very nice piece of public land uh, outside of, uh, anyway, <laughs> almost said too much. He lost a nice deer on a piece of public land. And um, he was very open about how he lost it and the kind of the roller coaster of thinking he found it and then pushing him and then losing it. And it was, you know, very open about the whole thing. Well, anyway, he developed target panic and that's what happened. He, he rushed a shot that he had plenty of time on. And um, I made a suggestion to him that what you should do before you go to work every day is 7am, 6.30, 5.45, whatever time you leave the house, Go outside, turn your truck on and it's cold, let it warm up, shoot your bow one time. And pretend that one shot is your one chance to kill a deer. And if you make a bad shot on that one shot, then the next day, try harder. Next day, try harder. But make one shot before you get in your truck every day to go to work. And when you come home for lunch or you come home for dinner, make one more. And then if you want to shoot for fun, yeah, shoot 15, 20, 30 times. But legitimately... That one shot, that first shot is the one that matters the most. And if you can't make that after rolling out of bed, about to, you know, holding a cup of coffee, about to get in your truck, if you can't make it then, it's unreasonable to think that you'll make a good shot on a live animal at first light in deer stand in January. Um, And so, number one, we have time this year to prepare. But number two, I'd like to see people be more selective. And even though I lost a lot of deer last year, which I'm not proud of at all. I also let 17 deer walk. And I remember that because I mentioned it at the end of the last season and it was the most encounters I, and, and when I say, let me clarify, that didn't mean that I saw 17 deer. I didn't shoot. That means I had 17 deer within bow range that I didn't shoot that I could have shot. And I'm not counting, you know, spotted fawns in there and stuff like that. I'm not counting deer at 80 yards. I'm counting deer, I'd say 50, 55 yards and under that if I needed to take a shot on and I was well-practiced, I could kill. And I would like to see people keep track of that number this season. Hey, I let six deer go by Christmas. Hey, I let, you know, um, uh, a couple of does pass me because they all seem to be yearlings or, or pretty young. And, yeah. you know, there was a fawn with four adults and I don't know which one was the mom. I think I told a joke the other day. I was like, you know, would, you know, would, would I ask somebody, you know, would you shoot, would you shoot a doe? out of a group of five does that had a fawn, a spotted fawn in the group. And my, and I thought, you know, he thought about it and, and he, he gave me his answer and he asked me and I was like, man, if you can't tell which one's the mom, 
and there's four other ones that are going to be around to raise it. I don't personally have a problem with it. But my joke, and this is so twisted, I was like, one of y'all is about to become a godmother. <laughs> one of y'all in the group is about to be go, be, um, be thrown into that role. Yeah. So, so I, I think about it like this, and I, I, I thought about this earlier when we were, before we talked with Jay, and I, I guess I did kind of mention there were some points I wanted to make, and this is the main one. Now, Everyone that listens to this podcast knows that I come from the perspective of a manager, private land manager, uh, quality deer management. That's the way I hunt. That's the way I choose to hunt. Um, I don't, you know, I, I'm not a preacher in that regard. But here is this is a, a concept that I want to introduce in this conversation that I don't think gets well, it really doesn't get any play in, in, in this conversation about being selective and what we shoot and all that. Think about this. This gets talked about in Turkey uh, a lot. A lot of things get talked about with turkeys because turkeys are more vulnerable, right? Um, so a lot of things, details are paid attention to. Think about this the next time you make a decision on what deer you're going to take. The number one thing as a sportsman and a someone who wants to see your, uh, your deer herd not just survive but thrive and you want to have hunting for yourself and your friends and family in the future. Every animal you kill, at the moment you shoot that animal, it has it, it's uh, it's over. Now that's the obvious statement. That deer's life's over, and all that matters at that point, in the big picture, we all talk about genetics and we talk about you know deer uh, buck to doe ratio and all that. But let me break it down like this: all that matters at that point is what that deer has done up to that moment in its life to contribute to the continuation of its herd. And so what does that mean? That means that what needs to happen in order for sustainability on any deer population, any animal population period is that animal has to contribute enough to the herd to replace itself. Once you take it out. Mm -hmm. So if you're shooting immature animals on a regular basis, you are taking a number out that is likely not being replaced. And there's, no there's no in my opinion my humble opinion there's no stronger way to look at that because if you kill a three-year-old buck some people be grow up uh, that you know you should let them get four or five the truth of the matter is that three-year-old buck depending on herd dynamics and all that he's probably reproduced enough that there's one or two deer that are going to make it to adulthood to replace him when you shoot him yeah now has nothing to do with antler size or anything like that. We're not talking about how big the deer grow their horns. And this same thing can be said for does. But if you shoot a spike buck, you just took one deer out of the deer herd. Period. Because he's not he 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 doesn't have any children. He yeah. doesn't have any offspring to replace himself. So every one of those that you shoot is one less deer. And now you have to depend on the chance of whether or not there is another animal that's overproducing to make up for what you just did. You're, you are stressing the biology and the herd management of things when you shoot immature animals. And this is extremely, extremely evident in turkeys, and it's, it's becoming a, a, a much bigger topic. And you see it in the regulations where they're trying to cut back on how many two-year-old gobblers are getting killed because those turkeys aren't replacing themselves, so you're just taking one out. Yeah. So the same thing can be said about, oh, uh, 
I'm gonna get my doe in the freezer. So you you shoot that first immature year, yearling doe that's that's just easily patternable and comes to a food source the first October because you just can't wait to fling an arrow, and you can't wait to get one in the freezer. So you shoot that doe. Well, that's that's a minus one. Period. Mm-hmm. It's a minus one. I don't care what your buck to doe ratio um, uh, theories and and philosophy is. I don't care what your horn genetic growth management theories are when you when you make the decision to shoot immature deer it's minus one period it's a great point now and that's that's something that bothers me about this conversation is if that number right there goes up that's what bothers me the most well i i would you know i've said this in the past i i think i think we're all in different stages in our like bow hunting careers um i'm i'm personally at a stage where I love having deer around me. I like locating and being near mature deer. I like to shoot. I'm, I'm now, now granted, I'm not like, you know, I know a lot of people that they like, well, only shoot five and a half, six and a half year old bucks. I'm not that good. <laughs> okay. Like I, I could age them if I saw them, but if I see a three and a half or four and a half year old on public land, it's, I mean, it's, it's ass is grass. It's going down. No doubt. Um, but if you, are listening to this and you haven't killed a deer yet you have no success you're trying to connect with your first one um i would i would maybe shoot whatever is legal that is going to keep you in this sport that is not going to discourage you from having a fifth year or a second year or a third year of you know without connecting you know what i think what Locke and i are mainly referring to is if you've got 15, 20, 30, 50 deer kills under your belt, stop shooting spikes, please. I don't know who you're trying to appeal to or what, like, how, or why you think that makes you feel manly, um, but nobody's that hungry, and it'd probably be cheaper for you to buy meat at the grocery store than do that anyway, and you get more dollars per pound, more, more pounds of meat out of it um, at a better rate than having to drive and spend all that time in the woods anyway. Nobody, you know, this is, we're in 2020 and even during a pandemic, this is still a recreational luxury sport. We do not have to have venison to eat. And if you really like eating venison, kill a bigger animal, which equates to kill an older animal, kill a a two and a half, three and a half, four and a half, five year old deer, and let those ones that haven't contributed back to the herd, like Locke's saying, have a chance to do that. Stop shooting yep. the first thing that comes out because if we yeah. all do that, then this population of, of the the right. deer Louisiana screwed more than usual. That's the snowball. That's the snowball effect that bothers me. I don't want to paint the picture that I believe or that I'm trying to, um, uh, that I'm trying to institute this idea that there's never a justifiable reason for someone to shoot a younger deer. There are. There are first-time hunters that need that experience. They need that motivation success. There are kids that, you know, need to learn to love the outdoors. And, and look, I'm not trying to – but to say that shouldn't happen. What bothers me is just the dynamic that we are presenting about this increase of hunting pressure. And hopefully people will – use that in a positive way uh some of the ideas that you presented in this conversation have been about hey this is the opportunity where i don't need to feel pressure 
to get it done. You and I have had this conversation, and I hate that. I'm sorry if you've posted that on Facebook and you personally now feel like I am talking to you or offended. But when you post, hey, I got it done. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. That 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 to me that's not what hunting is about. You you're not on the job. If you're getting paid to go out and hit 300 for a professional baseball team and you finish the month with a 300 batting average, then you got it done. And you're your not, paycheck says that you got it done. You're not Gordon McKernan. Right. You you you're not you're not being paid to go kill an animal. This is something different and Again, I know that that's lip service. It's just it's just a, a, a saying that we have, and I'm not trying to come down on people in that regard. I'm just trying to talk in a kind of a circle around, you know, how dangerous the attitude can be. We've seen it in the turkey world, and it can be um, a a kind of domino effect, at least regionally in certain areas, where if we get this attitude that hey, man, I, you know, I've been hunting for three weeks and I ain't shot something. I'm fixing to shoot something. If that attitude begins to prevail or we go to our favorite WMA and we get frustrated because there's so many people there and you know what, I'm just, I'm going to kill something. I've been putting in too much time out here. I'm dealing with all these people. I'm fixing to get mine. You know, if that happens too often, if that becomes a prevailing um, notion, then it, that it, it can have an effect that we don't want it to have it's just it's just it's just that it's not it's not that um i'm trying to institute this idea that everybody who who buys a license and hunts needs to hunt a certain way i'm not trying to say that at all but there is this um to your point i think you and i've talked about this prior to hitting the record button and we're on the same accord there's an opportunity here for you to become um, maybe hunt differently in in such that it can be more enjoyable. You can hunt different ways because you have more freedom and flexibility. It's not it's not harvest time. It's not like man, I finally got the chance to fill every tag I got this year because I got all the time in the world to be in the woods. This is the time to say, hey, you know, I've always wanted to hunt a certain way to do like Harmon Carson talks about. And what's a greater, I can tell you personally, if you haven't identified one deer and poured your heart and soul into it and then, and then found success with it, you you don't know what you're missing. That's the ultimate high as a bow hunter. Mm -hmm. It's the ultimate high to tune in on one mature animal and to hunt that deer and to play that game and then be successful. It's the ultimate high. It's the ultimate addiction when it comes to bow hunting. And this is the the year that we're dealing with for those that are going to be, you know, obviously, uh, looking at a totally different schedule, a totally different dynamic to their hunting season. This is an opportunity to be more free to say, Hey, I don't, you know, Hey, if there were, I've kind of felt the need to shoot a couple of those younger does because I needed meat. I I got, I've got a lot more time in the woods. I can wait on a mature doe to get more burger meat this year than, than having to shoot two 70 pound does. I'm going to shoot one of those huge slick heads, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or I'm going to tune in on that mature buck that, I've, I've just felt like I didn't have time to dedicate to one deer because I don't have enough time in the woods. All those things can be so eye-opening, constructive, and awesome, but, you know, to the things that we're talking about, um, that pressure can be applied negatively. And I think I, I think you'll agree with me. That's all we're trying to say is don't don't let this become a, a blood sport just because of boredom or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. I agree. Well, uh Let's wrap it up, man. I think that was uh, yeah. a good talk with Jay. Got some good insight on the industry, good insight on um, 
you know what what his business is like and and that's that's what i'm hearing echoing between um, echoing from other other bow shops other outdoor shops other states even um you know talk to some manufacturers um that that are in the archery industry saying that you know illinois iowa wisconsin this is the same thing happen all over the all over the country um with a high demand of product and um, a high yep. amount of hunter participation expected this year. And um, with those numbers on the rise, um, some some bad decisions or, or one or two extra deer taken by everybody that probably should have been left alone or let pass, that can have a pretty substantial impact on the herd across the country yep. and in Louisiana. So um, anyway, if, if you – if you have a, 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 you could have the world's best hunting year this year, and have the world's worst season for the next three seasons, depending on how you play it. You know. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, well, look, man, um, let's wrap it up and uh, look forward to getting this one out for you. Yeah, man. Could so be a we'll, good, uh, could be a good season. We'll be back next week. Yep. Hey, get ready. Get ready. It's it's a week away. Yeah. Week away. Six days coming down pretty quick. So, yep. All right, guys. Well, look, y'all be good. Have a good night. See you, Locke. See you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week. Thank you.